Good morning. We're going to be reading from Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies, destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Please join me as we pray before we get into our sermon. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for your word this morning that we can come and uh, drink deeply, uh, even as Ross prayed, that we would come to your word hungry. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now through the words of your servant David, through this uh, psalm that he's penned, a, a really uh, heartfelt cry, Lord, in a difficult time. Father, in life we can find ourselves in challenging times ourselves, and I pray that we would gain indeed much comfort from your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is that time again, uh, that time of year, it's uh, spring, and for some people that means some spring cleaning. Uh, I wonder if you've ever done uh, a bit of a clean up at home around the house and you've kind of come across uh, maybe a, a tool or, or something that you've had in your, in your toolbox that you're like, well, I actually have no idea what that is meant to be for. What do you do with it? Kind of feels a bit like a bit of a useless tool. Well, unless you're a hoarder, you of course throw it out. Now actually that kind of is a bit of a picture of how we feel towards something else at times in our life. And I wonder if this has ever been true of you. That is, speaking of our attitude towards hardship. Viewing hardship as a bit of it like a a useless tool. In the midst of our trials and hardship, I wonder if you've ever actually stopped, actually even questioned God about it. Perhaps thinking and praying to yourself, what is the point of this God? In this way, hardships can feel a bit like a useless tool that we come across at home. But unlike a useless tool, It's not something that we can just throw away and discard as much as we might like to be able to. 
Uh, earlier this year, I preached from Psalm 142, which is the psalm before our psalm today. If you look at and read those two psalms, they're actually quite similar. Both Psalm 142 and 143 are desperate prayers to God, pleading for His help during a dark and desperate time. Both of these psalms deal with the same heart condition, dealing with a person who, because of their present troubles, have a faint heart. Both of these psalms teach us how to pray in such times. Well, it was a little while ago, but we did learn back when I preached that sermon about how to pray desperate prayers. And, and given that we've gone through that, today the particular emphasis that we'll be considering from this psalm is this. We'll be considering this morning how to make the best use of our hardships. How do we get the best bang from, for our buck out of them? I mean, that might seem like a strange thing to say. I mean, who likes to consider trouble as something that gives us a beneficial return, much like a return on an investment that we might have? But actually, that's exactly what we can learn from this psalm this morning, in how God, through his servant David, shows us that hardship, or at least we can find real purpose within our hardships. Far from being a useless tool, hardship becomes one of the most useful tools in God's toolbox. Being incredibly useful for discipleship and actually good if we can believe it. Having the ability to grow us as his disciples through it. So as we consider that this morning, there are really three key things that I want to explore with you through this psalm. Three ways that we can respond to God throughout our hardships to make the best use of them. And so the first thing is this. God, through this psalm, prompts you to recognize that God is refining you through hardships, whereby recognizing the higher purpose that lies behind our present struggles. If, as we get into our psalm, the psalm's title immediately gives us the author, simply saying it's a psalm of David. And immediately, David shows us exactly how he was feeling. When he writes in verse 1, he says, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. Why was David crying out here? Well, verse 3 gives us the answer, showing how he had a powerful enemy hot on his heels. It says there, the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. What effect did this have on David? Well, verse 4 says it. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. In verse 7, David pleads with God, crying out, Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. I mean, David was certainly in a real bind here. We don't know the exact situation that caused David to write this psalm, but if you read David's life in the narrative books of the Bible in the Old Testament, you can certainly see that there are many circumstances in his life that could have easily fit the bill. Whether it was King Saul who relentlessly chased him, 
or the Amalekites, a, a neighboring nation at the time who took his family captive, or even having his own son Absalom who sought his life. I mean, it's phenomenal actually con- to consider the sheer number and the extent of hardships that David faced. In this way, David was certainly a man who was well acquainted with grief. You and I might not face the same urgent hardships as King David did. But we certainly do face our own enemies today. They might just take a different form. The shell shock experience of having a loved one suddenly pass away. Or being diagnosed with a serious illness. Or having the heart-sinking burden of facing your next mortgage or rent payment with no money in the bank. Or the soul-crushing experience of having a relationship, family or marriage breakdown. Or even something like the difficulty of abuse that was touched on earlier. Hardships can take a whole wide range of forms for us. And when severe enough, they can bring the same feelings that David felt. Feeling like there's an overwhelming enemy that we face. I wonder if you here this morning, have you've ever faced something that you felt like was an overwhelming enemy to you? What will you do if you face one in the future? Maybe you're here today feeling like you're facing an enemy as we speak. But what is striking about David's words here is that before he goes on to take aim at his enemy in his prayers, like drawing back a bow ready to strike them, saying, God, deal with that enemy. He turns the bow and arrow around and points and shoots at his own heart. We see this in verse 2 where it reads there, he says, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. You see, David had the spiritual self-awareness here to understand the true weight of what he was about to pray against his enemies. For he knew that if God was going to step in and deal with his enemy, he would equally need to step in and deal with David himself. Why? Because David understood himself to be a sinner, someone who himself deserved God's judgment rather than God's mercy and forgiveness. I mean, don't forget we're talking about someone here who you know, arranged for the murder of someone, uh, Uriah, and he, and he stole Uriah's wife Bathsheba and committed adultery, amongst many other failings that he did throughout his life. In this way, David shows us a hard but powerful lesson when it comes to making use of our hardships, showing that they provide us with a powerful opportunity, if used correctly, to continue growing as disciples, even to repent of any sin in our own life. I mean, to be clear, this doesn't mean that God approves of any evil done against us. God hates sin, period. But given the fallen world that we live in, what can we learn from our hardships, whatever they may be? For the Christian, as we consider our own hearts in our own in times of struggle, 
We don't do this because we need to prove ourselves good enough for God before he will accept us. Rather, it's repentance based on the knowledge that God's favor and steadfast love is already yours if you're a child of God. I mean, David himself knew this. He identified himself as God's servant. He knew God was for him and not against him. For the Christian, often hardships can feel like the process of making diamonds. With hardship feeling like the extreme heat and pressure that bears down on our weary souls. But this same very heat and pressure is what brings forth and creates a magnificent diamond. From the ugly become, comes forth beauty. As God refines us through hardship. Making us more like his son Jesus. I mean only the power of God can do that. I wonder if when you face hardship yourself, if you're willing to consider doing what David did here, being willing to lay your own heart bare before God, asking him to reveal ways in which you can continue to repent and confess your sins and and grow with him. Next time you'll find yourself facing your own enemy, will you have the courage to prayerfully ask and say, God, What are you trying to teach me? What can I learn in this moment? Secondly, this psalm calls you to remember God's character and past actions. And as we do that, enlarging your view of God and your faith in Jesus. Throughout this psalm, David's words reveal to us what he thought and believed about God, about who God was and how he believed and knew God to act. I mean, this psalm just shines with some of the amazing attributes of God. I mean, David called out for God's mercy, knowing that God was merciful. David knew God was full of faithfulness and righteousness, full of steadfast love. And he knew God was a God who was in the business of delivering his people from hardship. Verse 5 reads, it says, I remember the days long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I mean, David looks back over his life and also into Israel's history as well, reminding himself of all the powerful ways that God had delivered Israel out of their perils. David's hardship then really becomes a bit like a a field test for him to put his beliefs into action, to test whether all the things that he thought he believed about God was actually found to be true. I mean, we might come to church on a Sunday and hear the Bible preached and we hear truths about God. We might read great truths ourselves in scripture throughout the week but when hardship comes it provides us with a field test to see what we truly believe and if we're honest with ourselves maybe sometimes we can find ourselves feeling like David having a failed spirit in this way facing hardship as a Christian can sometimes make you feel like you're a bit like a prototype that's getting tested out before going to market. 
Uh, one well-known household good that many of us might have at home is uh, WD-40, uh, household lubricant that's super useful for all types of things. Uh, but interestingly, WD-40 got its name for how many times it actually failed while being prototyped. It wasn't until the 40th attempt that the chemical formula was finally perfected. In a similar way, when hardship comes our way, in our human frailty, our faith and our view of God can so easily be shaken. In such times like David, we are in faith to be encouraged to call to mind, front of mind once again, all those things that you know about God and how he's worked in your life to date. This is a way of encouraging our faith hearts as we look back to the past. To dwell on the past, remember all those times that he's delivered you and helped you. I mean, why won't he be a present help today if he has been previously? I mean, all this is God's way of enlarging your faith in him. Stretching you as he powerfully reveals himself to you. And you experience greater depths of his character and love. Ultimately, as we look back, we can actually look long ago, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born into this world. We can dwell once again on his chief act of deliverance for his people. When Jesus died on that cross and he rose again to deliver us from the greatest of enemies, from our sin and God's just wrath against it. On the cross and in his resurrection, God finally resolved that huge tension in the Old Testament. I mean, how could God show himself to be both faithful and righteous to David and also to us? How could he show himself to be merciful towards a sinner who only deserved holy wrath. Well, it's through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus who died on the cross to take away our sins. Through the ultimate ugliness, the evil of the cross and the death of God's Son came the ultimate beauty and salvation to all who believe. Now for all who repent and confess their sins and in faith turn to Jesus, they receive the forgiveness of sins. They receive God's mercy. Likewise, in John, uh, 1 John uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it shows there, I mean, the apostle uh, John had the awareness to see how faithfulness and righteousness of God came together. Where he says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. I mean, on the cross, these things come together. We see God's justice for sin, as well as his mercy and faithfulness to save us and to be committed to us. This brings long-lasting and fulfilling hope in a world that only has temporary and fleeting hope. It provides a solid rock on which to stand as we face our hardships. In a world where truth is relative, suffering can so easily seem pointless, hopeless. 
without the gospel and a Father in heaven who cares for us. We are only left with our own frail selves to lean on for security, for strength, and for hope. For many, this can leave many struggling to find any lasting meaning, purpose, and hope in their hardships. Uh, in July 1799, Frenchman Pierre-Francois Bouchard, I probably said his name wrong, uh, he made an important discovery uh, when he discovered the Rosetta Stone. Uh, having a decree from King Ptolemy V, Epiphanes, uh, written on it in three different languages. Uh, this stone became critical in helping us understand and interpret ancient Egyptian languages, languages that might otherwise remained an enigma to us. Because one of the languages was Greek, which we knew what it meant, and so we could use what our knowledge of Greek to interpret the other two languages. In many ways, for the Christian and for our world, the, the Bible and its saving message of the gospel is a little bit like that Rosetta Stone, giving us hope and purpose in hardship that might otherwise feel pointless within our culture. Hardship that could drive the soul to utter despair. But through the gospel, we, we can be given hope. Like David in times of hardship, we are to reflect and meditate on the cross in God's deliverance found in Jesus, knowing that our salvation is, is secure. We can, we can understand that these hardships aren't just relative experiences that don't mean anything and we can't make any sense of them, but actually God is with us in them. And so in hardship, will you dwell on the gospel? Dwelling on who God is. The ever faithful and righteous one. Who is full of mercy and compassion for the lowly sinner. All as God enlarges your faith. Lastly, David here teaches us, you and I, to realize that God is reorientating you, training your heart to give him all the glory. We begin to see this in verse 6 where David, in desperation, he pens, he says, pens these words, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Uh, here in Australia, we are a country known for our Many droughts. We are a land of droughts. Many and much, sorry, of the Australian outback is dry and barren. There are millions of square kilometres of ground that is screaming out for a drop of water. And yet for all the thirst that exists in our country, there is an even greater thirst. A spiritual thirst of the heart. A thirst that only God and His good spirit can fill and quench. In our sin and rebellion against God, humanity has turned aside from following God. And as a result, God has hidden his face from us. He's removed his life-giving presence from humanity. Being wise in our own eyes, our culture believes that then a, we can live meaningful and purpose, purposeful lives full of life without God. I mean, why pursue God when I can kind of find happiness in my own way 
many genuinely believe today. But the message of the Bible is consistent and clear, saying that that actually just leads to the ultimate goose chase. Forever chasing our forever paradise in the fleeting things of this world. One of the ways God wakes up the human soul and graciously knocks some spiritual sense in us is working through our hardships. I mean, there are countless testimonies that abound where it was in their very moment of desperation and hardship that a person found God and met their Savior, Jesus. And like David for God's church, hardship continues to be a place where we can, in faith, behold the face of our God. As God uses hardship to create in us a soul that worships Him in spirit and truth. Reprogramming our soul to live for Him and give the glory that is due to His name. In verse 11, David says, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. I mean, in verse 11 there, David really shows it, shows us that he, he really gets it. Life isn't primarily about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and his glory. His namesake. Glory that we rob from him when we worship ourselves. And glory that gives the heart the greatest joy when we have it. And when we give him the glory. The greatest satisfaction. When it learns once more to find its everything in God. Where's your heart at this morning? Does your heart do this? Is your heart being and is being reorientated towards God? And giving him the glory? Be reminded this morning, fellow Christian, that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You were ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus. God has laid claim on your soul and declared, mine. And oh, what blissful joy this is to know. In verse 8, David longs for good news of God's steadfast love to come in the morning. Maybe he's praying this prayer at night and just hoping that the next day brings deliverance. And it's actually not by accident that this psalm is placed where it is, within the whole Psalter, within the book of Psalms. It is the last downcast psalm before the book of Psalm ends with great songs of praise and worship and hallelujahs. On the horizon, deliverance was coming. And indeed, for God's people, 2,000 years ago, that deliverance came in that blessed morning, in that great moment of hallelujah. When the sun rose in that dawn on the empty tomb of the risen Jesus. Now, having risen again in Jesus and through his Holy Spirit, we can find water that really quenches our thirsty souls. Jesus says in John 4, he says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
So I ask you this morning, has your soul been filled with Jesus? With this eternal life that springs up within you? As he works his salvation in you? Maybe you're in the midst of hardship and God is using your present circumstances to finally call you to come home to him. To bring beauty where there has been ugliness in your life. To finally accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Will you listen to him and receive the gift of his eternal life? And to all of us, to the church, are you making good use of your hardship? Understanding that hardship leads to discipleship and worship. Or are you wasting it, viewing it as a useless tool that just simply needs to be discarded? Allow me to pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this psalm, these words of desperation from your servant David. Father, in so many ways, it is shocking for us to even read this psalm and to see David's attitude towards you both in how he had a faint heart, in how he was a man who believed in you and how you worked in him so many times again and again, and yet in his hardship, once again, he found himself with a faint heart. And so it is shocking for us this morning as we resonate with that and realize that when we face hardship, we so often find ourselves rocked, our faith rocked to the core. Father, it is also shocking for us, Lord, as we see him turn the bow and arrow of his prayers on his own heart, as even in his time of desperation, he says, God, will you transform me? God, I'm a sinner and I need your help. But as shocking and difficult as that is for us to hear this morning, we, we also know that that brings us great joy knowing that our salvation isn't up to us, but it's up to you. And indeed, that salvation has been secured. And Father, in that way, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross where you did secure that salvation. You accomplished what only you could accomplish. You died for our sins, Lord. You took the ugliness of this fallen world upon yourself. And you brought forth it beauty. Father, may our hearts respond in joyful thanks this morning and that we will have a joyful uh, joyfulness in the salvation that you've given us. And Holy Spirit, will you encourage us when we do face hardship to turn to you, to find comfort in you as we await that final day, that final morning to come. When, when you will come and make this whole world anew, when you'll make every crooked thing straight, every hardship, every tear will be wiped away and you will be perfect, beholding the face of Jesus in all your glory. Father, we look forward to that. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen.